0: Hello and welcome to Radio
1: Astronomy, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night Magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com, or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play.
2: Hello, uh, my name is Ian Todd from BBC Sky at Night Magazine, and I'm here at Blue Dot Festival 2022 at the Jodrell Bank Observatory in Cheshire. Um, and today I'm talking to um, Exploration Science Manager at the UK Space Agency and General. Uh, human spaceflight expert uh, Libby Jackson
1: thank you for having me on the podcast
2: yeah thanks very much for for speaking to me today um I was gonna I was gonna start off um by asking you uh, how do you how do you sort of feel about uh, all the all the all these upcoming missions like when you think about Artemis and potential missions to to Mars and the fact that uh, you know China' is uh, upcoming space station. Do you think we're sort of on on the cusp of like a, almost like a new era in in, in crewed space flight?
1: Yeah. I I mean, how do I feel? I'm excited. I I grew up reading about the Apollo missions. That was the inspiration that got me into the, the space industry. And... What we are doing on the International Space Station is phenomenal. We've been living and working in the space station for over 20 years now. The science that comes down every day is helping everybody around the world, and the UK is playing its part in that. Um, But to now be looking ahead to the Lunar Gateway, to lunar landings... And then planning, you know, at, towards Mars because the reason, or part of the reason of returning to the moon is to start learning how to live and work outside the protection of the Earth's magnetic field in deep space so that we can go to Mars one day. It's just amazing. It, it's, for me, that's... I mean, there are so many good reasons for us to do it, but fundamentally, I just can't wait to see it all happen. When I think of those grainy images that are so iconic of Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Alan Shepard, Pete Conrad, all of those moonwalkers um, who were there, then we're going to see the same live from the surface of the moon in probably 4k. And, And what is that going to be like? And the technology that's evolved to get us there, the inspiration that that will bring to everybody, as well as the science as well as the technical uh, development, as well as the collaboration that will happen to get there, I'm just excited. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned um, the Apollo missions there because a, a, lot, a lot of people sort of think, you know, with like Sputnik and then Yuri Gagarin and then the Cold War space race and Apollo missions that there was it was ramping up and ramping up, and people sort of thought, well, within within 10 years we're going to we're going to be in Mars. But then it all seemed to slow down. Would you agree with that assessment? That it also just seemed to sort of, after Apollo 17, gr- grind to a halt? Or?
1: I, I think what happened was that budgets fell away a bit and there were other priorities. Space is something um, that has been government taxpayer funded. That's got to be balanced with all the other priorities that are going on. Apollo, in the end, was all about a race between the US and the USSR so there were political motivations there and it's true though I, I look back at that time and go from from 1961 when Yuri Gagarin flew 1969 we landed humans on the moon you know less than a decade to do all of that advancement it just blows my mind at the speed as so on and what they did achieve but yes, things slowed down and changed and returned, I think, to a more manageable financial level um, for governments. But we didn't stop. That sort of... I heard it just described very recently. Apollo was almost a sprint to the moon. It, it was done. Um, but, but some people look back and go, we were really lucky that the astronauts didn't go to the moon during a massive solar storm, for example, which would have had a huge impact on radiation. Um, there was an awful lot we didn't know. And what we've done since then is slowed down. Uh, NASA, the US developed the space shuttle. Uh, Europe, um, the European Space Agency, really developed amazing science missions that have been returning science for decades. And then there was, you know, we moved to the International Space Station. So there was transport, there was infrastructure, um, the space station has been this, this gradual build-up to this um, say this absolutely phenomenal scientific laboratory now um, that countries all over the world use for their research. So we didn't stop. We've just done things in a, a more measured, sustained, sustainable way. And that's absolutely going to be the mantra moving forward, returning to the moon, onto Mars. Um, these things have to play their part in the world stage and you know, world budgets.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose, um, you know, given the sort of um, divisiveness of the Cold War space race, the the fact that it culminated in something like a, a shared shared endeavour like the International Space Station, sort of see that as sort of almost like a happy ending.
1: <laughs> you yeah, know I mean? I, and, and, it, and you see that today still. Um, you know, political tensions are there. Um, when the International Space Station was being conceived... what 30 years ago 40 years ago um back in the 80s and the people uh, the engineers were designing it they they had this vision to create something that was completely intertwined and it is that's why at the moment it's still being operated because you can't separate one half from the other the american and the uh, russian half um, and, and that vision of collaboration and dependency, you know, it has been something that has, has kept countries working together, it is doing now. Um, you have to collaborate in space. The UK is a part of the European Space Agency, we're really proud of that. And the European Space Agency is working alongside NASA, uh, Japan, uh, it, all these missions. Space is so big, you can't do it alone. So so collaboration is Absolutely key to achieving these, you know, fantastic, amazing, gigantic visions.
2: <laughs> absolutely, and I suppose then um, the the ISS has, has played a, a pretty starring role in your career thus far. I was wondering if you could go all the way back to to, to how you how you actually got into human space flight and, and being part of that, being part of that world.
1: I mean, space was something that always fascinated me when I was little, but it took me. Um, until I was a sort of teenager, about 16, that I started to understand that as a Brit, we had a British space industry. And it, you know, so you could get a job in that. You could have a career in that. Um, up to that point, I had sort of, yeah, you'd heard of NASA and the astronauts and the space shuttle. But that was something that happened in America. And you had to go all the way to America to do that. And, and I worry sometimes that that's still a, a thought that some people have today, absolutely not true we have a thriving British space industry thriving European space industry through the European Space Agency and all the industry there as well um, and so I, actually what happened was I went to space school when I was 16 um, summer thing still happens today have to give them a big shout out um, happens at Leicester University now I think and that was what opened my eyes to the space sector um, uh, but human spaceflight was where my my heart lay um, and as I, I still didn't think I could do anything in that because it's still something oh, I was miles away. But as I, I went through um, my university days, um, I started to realise that the European Space Agency were going to be a part of the International Space Station. The Columbus module, Europe's science module, the ISS, was going to get built. Um, my My heart, was, was in mission operations I'd I read the stories of being in mission control I'd been really lucky to visit mission control in Houston when, when I was um, at school as well and um, that was I, I, my, my age was well timed that as Europe were getting ready to, to join the International Space Station I saw jobs to, to work at the control centre in uh, Munich applied for them, got them went there uh, and got into mission Control and spent seven years there, um, being a part of the team that kept the ISS working every day
2: That's absolutely incredible that's so cool like what what a cool job
1: It was absolutely fantastic. Um, I have a very cool job now I enjoy it, but my heart will always always be in mission operations. but I, I did nothing more really than find something as a, as a child and as a student I was interested in. And then I did my research and I spoke to people and I figured out what might be there. And I went, well, I'm going to go and do that. And I just, you know, I naively thought, well, why not? And so I did. And I think that message is really important to anybody listening, that whatever it is you want to do, what's stopping you? Why, you know, there's no such thing as a mad, crazy dream. I would say I, people look back and go, oh, how did you do it? I just kept going. I think if you spoke to anyone who... Um, you know, we're currently waiting to, to see our next Prime Minister but if it was a Prime Minister or if you've won an Olympic gold medal or if you've been you know, an amazing CEO people have these crazy dreams and they can't tell you when you're young no one knows how you're going to get there but if you just keep that there and keep working at it amazing things can happen
2: So what 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 did you actually do at, at Mission Control? Um was it was it very like those that sort of footage you see of you know, in, in in the uh, 60s of the of the NASA mission control and everyone's you know, yeah. You know.
1: When I was working there and people said what's your what's your job like, I always said have you seen Apollo 13? They said it, it, it's just like that. It's less it's less glamorous. We're not going to the moon, um, and um, European Control Centre is is a sort of. Um, I would say subordinate to the big control centre in Houston. Um, we look after a, a, the module which is doing the European Space Agency's module called Columbus, where there's experiments going on, and, and that is exactly like we see in the movies. And, and you'd um, have a problem, have to figure it out. Payloads not working, and has gone wrong. What, what's going to happen? Um, yeah, it, it really just was like that. So I, I started off. Um, First of all, as an instructor, I was I was teaching people how to use the um, tools and the skills that they would need to become a flight controller. Uh, then I was a flight controller, specialized in data and communication systems, and then I became a flight director there.
2: Cool. And you were working at the same time as uh, Tim Peake's Prinkapia mission? Uh,
1: not well. So the, the story there, I was um, at the... I was working um, in the mission control centre from 2007, and the astronauts were selected in 2008, 2009. Um, so when uh, the new six astronauts, as they were back then, uh, came a lot, were hired by the European Space Agency, they came down to, to meet us all in mission control to see what was happening. Great introduction to what's happening on the space station, um, and that was the first time I met him. Um, and I made sure I went and said hi to him. It was a Brit Brit working in mission control, British astronaut, of course, we're going to say hello to each other. Um, And I said, at that point, neither he nor I would ever have thought he would have flown in space as soon as he did because back in, was it 2008, 2009... The UK wasn't contributing to those human spaceflight programs through the European Space Agency. We were contributing to the robotic exploration programs and building the Exo, or working towards building the Exo Mars rover, Rosalind Franklin, as she now is. Um, But we weren't participating in human spaceflight. Um, And that evolved and that changed. And um, the UK decided to join those human exploration programs in 2012. Um, So I was still at mission control then. And then what happened was uh, Tim was assigned uh, in 2013 to his mission. I went yeah I want to be a part of that (laughs) so uh, I was very lucky though the UK Space Agency were looking for someone to manage uh, the education and outreach program for Tim Peake's flight I applied for that job I got it and so I then managed uh, all the uh, put together the program and managed all the amazing work that we did to bring the magic and excitement of Tim's flight to school children up and down the country and that was a real privilege uh, to be involved in that
0: Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go!
2: That is so cool. Um, so, do you, do you sort of get um, an inkling as to as to what it's like to be an astronaut? I, I mean... You must sort of get get quite close to them and 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 work very close to them and, and sort of see maybe perhaps even better than they can see themselves what what. the the sort of physical and mental demands of of being in isolation in in Earth orbit?
1: When you're working in mission control, you have to know that space station as well as the astronauts do because you have to communicate about the experiments, the payloads, the hardware, the problems. Um, And if you don't talk the same language, you can't have that communication to say, you know, you need to put it here or there or this is what's going to happen. So you get to know uh, the International Space Station very well. To train as a flight controller and a flight director takes a, a year or two. Um, in knowledge and so on. Uh, in fact, just recently I was um, over in Japan for a meeting with the Japanese space agency who also built a module um, and I went to see the mock-up of it. I was like, oh, finally, I feel like I've gone to space and, and, and been inside their module because you see it so well and you know it. Um, and, yeah, we do, we work alongside the crew very closely. Um, we get to know them. We see the stresses and the strains. We know what it's like to go through the training. Um we will never sit on top of a rocket and, and the risks that they take in doing that that's something I think that whilst we appreciate what they do and we know what they do we're very very aware of it um, I think until you sit on top of a rocket and put your mind in that mindset you're never quite going to know what it's it's like in the same ways but yeah we do um, we work very closely with them and they are all you know, fantastic people who work really hard to get the science done for all of us
2: I'm sure I mean could could you or or would you do it? if, if, if Oh,
1: if someone said, said, Here's the ticket, yeah, yeah, I'd be away. I'd be going. Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, What an experience. I've been lucky enough to to do a microgravity flight to to perhaps. A parabolic flight where you fly in a, an airplane and it, it flies these parabolas like a sort of giant roller coaster and that's loads of fun I was there uh, helping with a research experiment um, and uh, yeah I, oh I'd love to go
2: so do you feel like you're you're, you're floating in the air basically
1: you are floating you are in the floating air, to do in air this of in yeah you. It, it's um and it is just as much fun yeah. as, as it looks like. Like flying? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it feels very natural actually. Um, it's this initial moment go whoa, and then you go, oh yes, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. And yeah, it's a lot of fun doing those flights. We do a lot of good research on them too.
2: Um, I, I suppose you, you must get asked this quite a lot. Um, are we are we overdue another another ESA UK astronaut?
1: Well, the European Space Agency is currently in the final stages of selecting its next uh, group of astronauts. And I am watching with as much interest as the rest of the country to see uh, who they select and whether there'll be an, another British astronaut um, in that uh, group of people.
2: What about um, uh, upco- upcoming missions like the, like the Artemis mission, the, the return to the moon or any, any future sort of potential missions to Mars? Does the does UK have a, have a stake in that in terms of um, um, supplying crew
1: well, the UK is say, a proud member of the European Space Agency, um, which is, it's always worth noting at the moment. It's not an EU organisation. So, so that has remained in place uh, despite uh, our um, decision to, to leave the EU. And um, we say we are a proud member, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to be. Uh, so the European Space Agency is working with NASA. Um, They have secured flights for European Space Agency astronauts to go to the Lunar Gateway, which is the small space station being built to orbit the moon that will be launched, uh, the first modules of it will be launched in the next few years. Um, We will hope to continue to have European space, UK, sorry, I should say, we hope to have UK astronauts in the European Space Agency Corps for for many years to come. And... um, We'll see who they assign to which missions in the future.
2: Yeah, and um, just just uh, coming back to the to the ISS, I mean, the, there's been a lot of talk over the last few years about are are we sort of approaching the end of the of the space station? Has, is, is the space station um, going to be sort of deorbited and any anytime soon? Do you think
1: uh, it will be one day? Yeah. Uh, currently, um, we're looking at flying it till 2030. Um, but that then has been will have been a 30-year uh, lifespan. The first module's launched in 1998, um, and so that is starting to get you know get get to be an uh, an old space station. Um, we know one day. It will be time to to deorbit it and bring it home, and so what NASA have done, um, they've given some uh, initial seed funding to I think three companies who are looking um, to develop commercially operated space stations. The same shift that we've seen in. Um, the provision of flights to the International Space Station. Uh, NASA used to buy a spacecraft, own it, operate it themselves, fly their astronauts there. And instead, now they are buying tickets uh, from SpaceX, from Boeing, for services to take their astronauts uh, to the space station. And then anyone who has deep enough pockets can also buy those same tickets to, to go to space. with so the opening up of those markets. We're going to see that same shift in the space station. Uh, and those new commercial space stations uh, are aiming to be in orbit by 2027, 2028. So hopefully we'll have a, a transition from one to the other and maintain this research capability in low Earth orbit that is so important for the science that we do up there, that is teaching us things about materials, about how uh, cells work, all kinds of stuff that's, that's benefiting everybody on Earth. But it also allows us to test the technologies and the science we need to develop those things to take us back to the moon and one day onto Mars. And, of course, by doing these things, by solving these problems, we always figure out new stuff and new technologies that then come right back down to Earth, and we all get to use it every day.
2: Cool. I mean, just, just to go back to what we were saying at the, at the start, I mean, the ISS being a symbol of, of uh, collaboration, I was wondering um, your your thoughts on, will will we will we lose that in any way, do you think, when the ISS goes? And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of all specifically thinking of what's already happening with, uh, as you said, you know, companies like SpaceX, America no longer needs to rely on the Soyuz so it's flying um, astronauts from its own soil so you sort of lo- like are, are we losing that sort of US Russia collaboration that that was such a big deal uh, at, 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 you know at the during the sort of Apollo soyuz um, uh, collaboration missions at the height of the Cold War are, 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 we, are we in danger of, of, of backtracking on, on that collaboration
1: I think we will always see collaboration in space between partners who want to work together space is massive and expensive and uh, in order to do the big missions at that very forefront of exploration of pushing the envelope if you can do them in a collaborative manner well everybody benefits and the price comes down. We're seeing collaborations between the European Space Agency and NASA on the Mars Sample Return Mission. Amazing mission to you know, complete one of the most important scientific uh, questions for decades, which is can we get rocks back from Mars to understand much more about is there life on Mars, was there life on Mars. You know, we've sent spacecraft to Mars that are helping to ask those questions, but scientists desperately want to look at those rocks in their labs uh, back on Earth. Um, we will continue to see collaborations on the Lunar Gateway um, and any future mission to Mars, I think, will be a collaboration of, of many different space agencies. So, yeah, we will continue to see collaborations uh, in space, I think, for a long time to come.
2: Fantastic. It, I mean, just, again, just to come back to what we were saying before, it, just especially with, um, the at the time we are recording this, the um, recent release of the new um, James Webb Space Telescope uh, images, Um, It's sort of like, you know, Hubble's successor, and then we're we're talking about going back to the moon and potentially this time actually making it to Mars, maybe within our lifetime. It it does sort of feel, like, do you think it's hyperbole to sort of say that it does feel like we're on a a cusp of a a new generation of of space travel?
1: I I really think we are. Um, There's so much coming. We're about to really leave low Earth orbit, return to the moon in a way that uh, people hope will be sustainable and sustained. Um, so that it it, is not a visit that there's there's talk potentially of um, setting up some kind of research bases there. and So on. we'll see where budgets go, where politics take us. Um, There are many questions here for the UK and the European Space Agency. We're looking ahead to the Council of Ministers meeting, which is taking place uh, at the end of November. This is where all of ESA's 22 member states come and agree what money is going to be spent on what programmes for the next three years. It's laying the groundwork for the Lunar Gateway, but it is looking ahead to those lunar missions. And, and I was in a meeting just this week where we were talking about objectives of how we would, uh, what we needed to do on the moon to start thinking about going to Mars. So, yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot there. And um, I really think it is, um, you know, a, a new chapter um, that, that, that we're in already. We've seen the transition to commercial space flight, um, well, or commercial providers of services. We're going to see, I think, I hope, a lot more to come. The return to the moon is happening. Though that that hardware isn't hypothetical. Orion is built. We're looking forward to the Artemis One launch, um, which has got uh, NASA service module. Where the sorry, which has got NASA mod- crew module in the Orion capsule, the European Space Agency service module, which are intertwined. So ESA and NASA collaborating there to, to get humans um, to the Lunar Gateway into the moon. Uh, so that hardware is being built. The Lunar Gateway is being built. This is definitely the start of the next chapter.
2: Fantastic. I mean, there's just uh, so much to look forward to, I, I think. Um, but yeah, thanks for um, thanks for coming on the podcast and, and, and helping us look forward to that and sharing your expertise with us uh, today, Olivia. It's been great speaking to you.
1: Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Radio Astronomy podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify.